love to come together on Sunday morning, <clears throat> celebrate Jesus and what God, God is doing in our lives. But does anybody notice the little sad corner of our service today? Something lacking, something missing. Something that should be shining brightly but is snuffed out. Our Advent candles haven't been lit. And you know what? We didn't ever light the Christ candle. Don't tell anybody, but we forgot. <laughs> we do that Christmas Eve usually, right? I'm going to light them. And uh, first one, I've got to get this right in terms of order. As back there, the candle of hope. Representing the hope we have in Jesus. Amazing, right? No, no follower of Jesus is ever in a circumstance where there is no hope. Ever. Because Christ is with them. And he can intervene and he can make a difference. It's an amazing truth. Love. How many people here know they are loved deeply by God? Christmas is a message of the powerful love of God in our lives. And I hope not only you have heard it, but you have received it. And you've responded. Joy. It's an incredible thing to know what God has done for us in Jesus. Joy wells up in us when we know I am loved. And God has come not just to this world, but into my life. Joy bubbles up, right? Can't be contained. And the last one. You'd think I've never heard of these words before, wouldn't you? Peace. Peace. The peace of God that passes understanding in, ever, in any circumstances in, circumstance in life. The peace that comes between a human being and God because of Jesus. The peace that comes between human beings because all of a sudden the Lord comes and says, love one another and we're no longer at war with each other. We're living in peace because of Jesus. And of course it all comes because Christ has come. The Christ child has been born in Bethlehem. And he is with us, Emmanuel. So I'll be clapping now. <laughs> Isn't that a little more cheery? Isn't this better, right? Let me pray. Lord, we, we know that as your people, we are blessed. Um, for Lord, for whatever reason, we are here today. Um, we have heard the message of Christ's coming again. Um, we have come to that place where we have said, so many of us, we believe um, something that is almost too much to believe, but you have worked this faith in us. You have revealed yourself to us. You have revealed Christ to us. And so many of us here, God, we've just taken that step into believing in and following Jesus with all of our hearts. And we believe that he has come and that he has taken our sin on the cross, as we've already mentioned, God. And we believe that he sits at your right hand as the ascended one. And we believe that by his spirit, he and you are with us here now. And you are ready to speak to us. The word of God, which can be mighty and powerful and transformative in, in our lives. We're blessed, Father, because in the hearing of the word, we are saved. In the living of this word, we are blessed. And our God, we would just pray that you would work now in the way that you have so often before. Whether we're seeking you, whether we're people who are new to faith, whether we've been in the faith for a long, long time and have grown in Christ, we need to hear the word again, the word of God. 
and be impacted and changed. So bless us now, Father, by your presence, by your word, by your truth, by your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in thinking about this morning's talk, I realized that, you know, we're, we're way too close to Christmas to talk about New Year's, right? We're still uh, Christmas-oriented. And we're too far from New Year's. I mean, it's going to come, but, you know, we're not there yet. I'll touch on it at the end, as you'll see. But I want to I go again to the, to the Christmas story. And, and it's the Christmas story that we have heard so many times before. If you were here for our Christmas Eve services, you heard it there, Luke chapter 2. But as I have uh, studied and prayed and thought, I've realized there's something really odd in this, in this passage. First, the, the, the account of the birth of Jesus, and then the story of the shepherds and the angels and the, and, and, and the trip to Bethlehem and seeing the child and all these sorts of things. Something incredibly odd. And I want to talk about the oddity, particularly of the second part. Um, and tell you, I think, well, what's strange in the text. Number one, it starts with this story of... of, of, of almost invisibility in terms of the birth of Jesus. Like, you know, you know, God coming into the world, God's son being born, and it's almost like the story's invisible. It's like it's, there's a quietness, a hush over Luke chapter 1 verses, chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. Let me read it to you, and I want you to listen for the hush, the quietness, the invisibility. It says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. It's like no big deal. Oh, I'm reading from the wrong text. Sorry. Let's carry on. All returned, okay, and because Joseph was the descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from a village in Nazareth and Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room available for them. Did you hear it? It's almost like God's going, shh, don't tell anybody. Just a couple of teenagers traveling to an obscure village in an obscure part of the world at that time. And in that place, the Son of God is born. You know, it's like the, it's like the writer, the, the, the author and composer of Silent Night got to write, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. It's quiet. It's invisible almost. It's as if no one knows what's going on in the circumstance, and they don't. But then comes the next paragraph. Listen to this, verses 8 to 14. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, note the word, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, a city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, here's the word again, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on, with whom God is pleased. It's, a, it's almost like the opposite of the silent night of Bethlehem. Although this is just moments after and it's just outside Bethlehem, we assume. It's, it's the complete opposite of the birth. This angel host, this glory shining, this suddenly reality that happens in the lives of these of these shepherds. They probably fell over if they were standing up. They probably jumped 10 feet in the air if they were sitting. All of a sudden, the angel of the Lord is there. And all of a sudden, this host of angels is, is, is speaking this truth, this dynamic reality that Christ has come, the Messiah is here, the Son of God has been born. Remarkable. It's like a spectacular thing that is, you know, like the, the, the huge neon sign in the sky going, look, he's there, he's there, he's there. And you've got to ask the question, like, what's going on? How come, you know, silent light followed by neon sky, uh, uh, signs in the sky? And I want to talk about the, the, the reality of what happens to these shepherds. And I want to dig the truth of the scripture out of this, this passage for us. The first thing that we see is like absolutely clear. God wanted people to know that Jesus had been born in spite of the silence of the birth, in spite of the location, in spite of the shh. God speaks his word into the lives of these shepherds. It is clear, it is loud, it is profound about the birth of his son. I want to tell you, this is nothing new to the, to the Christmas story. God's word had come to Zechariah, and he said, you're going, you and your wife are going to have a, a little baby boy, and you're to call him John, because he's going to prepare the way from the, for the Messiah. And God came, and his word came to the life of a young teenage girl named Mary, and said, you're going to have a child, and that child which you will, you will carry is the Son of God. And God came to a young guy named Joseph and said, that thing that Mary has told you, God's word came in this profound, life-changing experience in a moment, said that thing that you, uh, that, that child that she carries, she is, he is the son of God. And everything that she has said to you is absolutely true. God had spoken profoundly to these people and he would carry on doing it. All the way through the Bible, God speaks, God communicates, and God's, people, God's people's lives are changed. Like they are dramatically changed by this. Jesus himself became the word of God, the living message of God among us. Then he spoke the word of God. And he, as he spoke, the lives of people were transformed and changed. And they were brought into the kingdom of God and given faith. The word of God is a powerful, life-changing thing. And I want to tell you, my friends, God speaks still. Many people here, I said this Christmas Eve, not only here, but for 2,000 years have heard God, had God show up in their lives, and the word of God has been spoken into their understanding, and God becomes incredibly real to them in a moment, and although it might be unexplainable, they are transformed, they are saved, the word of God says. Let me read to you Romans 10, verse 17. It's a really well-known passage. So faith comes from hearing that is hearing the good news about Christ, the word of God about the Lord Jesus himself. And in that moment, when, our, our, when we hear the word of God, just like the lives of these shepherds, we are caught up in God's life. Our stories become intertwined with God's stories, just like the story of the shepherds. Think of a river that's flowing mightily and powerful, powerfully, representing the, the, the action of God in this world. God is at work. God has always been at work. God is at work now. And it's like these shepherds hear this, this story of Jesus through the angels. God's word comes into their lives, and they're just caught up in this river, and they become part of what God is doing. 
And it's happened in the lives of so many people. The river flows mightily. God is moving. And we hear the word of God and we're just caught up in what God is doing. Our stories become intertwined with God's story. And we are changed. Powerful reality. Powerful thing. No one asked today, have you heard the word of God? I'm not, I'm not talking about, do you know the story? Have you encountered God in his word? Has God spoken into your life? Has he impacted your life? And have you been changed by that word? Second thing is really clear. Number one, God speaks unmistakably into, in, into the lives of these shepherds. The second thing that happens is these shepherds are encouraged to go and to confirm that what, that what they have been told by God is in, indeed true. They are told by the angel in verse 12, go and see this one. They're told where the baby is. They're told what the baby is doing lying in a manger. They're even told what the baby is wearing. You know, this is not this sort of hidden thing that isn't supposed to be seen anymore. All of a sudden, the angel is saying, right there in Bethlehem, in the manger, wearing cloths, strips of cloths, go and check them out. What's going on? I mean, what happens then, of course, is the angels go and do it. Let me read 15 and 16 for you from chapter 2. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. You know, think what those shepherds must have encountered when the angel of the Lord showed up. It says they became terrified. Um, think, think what they must have encountered when thousands of angels showed up in the sky. They were probably stunned. They were probably shocked, not only at what they were seeing, but again, what they were hearing, the Messiah has come. The Son of God is among us. It would have been like an incredible wow moment. <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised if after it was all done, they just sat there looking at each other and saying something like, did that just happen? Did you see what I saw? You know, we haven't been drinking too much of the local brew, have we? Like, is that really going on? Is this real? And, and you know, they wanted then to go for themselves to see what the Lord had said and indeed to see if what the Lord had said was true. And I want to tell you, it's not an unusual thing for, for people to whom the word of God comes to then ask themselves, okay, I think I've encountered the living God. And I hope you have. But I think I've encountered the living God. Now I've got to go look. I've got to check this out for myself. I need to investigate this. I have to find out if indeed it's true. Have you ever done that? It would, it's predicated on having had that encounter with God. But then this idea, okay, now I got to dig deeper. I got to go find out. I got to move into this reality. Happens in a lot of ways. I want to tell you a story that I had when I was a child, and I'm guessing I was 10 or 11. I was just, a, I was really young. And um, I was just at that age, uh, even then, of thinking, you know, is this faith which I have grown up with actually true? Is this the real deal? Or have I been sold a bill of goods? You know, and, and I was questioning, I was asking. Probably it's the question that a lot of young people who grow up in faith need to ask to develop a faith of their own. It's the question that a lot of people who come into the faith as adults have to ask. They have to, maybe yes, and they have to encounter God, but then they got to go, okay, now I need more here. I need to investigate. I need to figure this out for myself. I need to come to deep conviction about faith. Well, I, you know, was thinking in these terms one night and and I just prayed this incredibly simple childlike prayer, and I recognized that it, that it was that as I tell you this story. But I said, God, if you're real, 
Could you wake me up at 8.30? Ever done anything like that? I was looking for proof. <laughs> I couldn't sleep at 8.30 now if my life depended on it, but then I could, right? I was looking for something more. I was looking for reality. I was looking for evidence. I was investigating. And I remember it so clearly to this day. It's not something insignificant in my life then or even still, but I remember waking up and I remember immediately thinking of my request from the night before and I rolled over and I looked at my watch and it was 8.30 on the nose. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting this is the ultimate proof for the existence of God. You know, I'm not. <laughs> but for me at that time, it was significant because what I was sensing in this is that this God thing is real just as a child with a childlike perspective. And it became part of much that happened in my life, which proved to me that the Word of God was real and that the things that the Word of God said were true. So evidence comes. Can I su suggest to you, first of all, an answered prayer? For me also, I, you know, I grew up, moved into my late teens. I began to really investigate through grappling with intellectual questions. I don't know whether that's been part of your journey or not, but I started to ask the questions... You know, how do I know that the Bible is, is, is true? How do, how do I know it's even reliable? Like, is it the same book that was written 2,000 years ago? How do I know that, that, you know, the virgin birth actually took place? How do I know that the miracles of the Bible, you know, Jesus walking on water or raising Lazarus or any of these things, how do I know that they actually happened? And ultimately, and in the end, I had many more questions, but how do I know that Jesus rose from the dead? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Jesus is just another man like me, and as the Apostle Paul was, was, has written, our, our faith falls if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. I had a host of questions, so I began to read. I read, read people like C.S. Lewis and other people with incredible minds and with incredible intellects who had tackled the questions long before me, and what I discovered from their investigation and their writing satisfied my mind. And I came to believe, yes, this thing is true. But my friends, I want to tell you the ultimate proof, yes, answered prayer, and yes, grappling with the issues and discovering the truth of God from people who have written of it in different ways. But ultimately, the truth of God comes from the Word of God itself, the Bible. A remarkable book through which God shows up again and again and again in our lives when we are in relationship with Him, when we have taken that step into faith. He comes at just the right moment and He speaks into our lives. The Word of God comes alive to us and He speaks to us to guide us when we need guided, to challenge us when we need challenged, to be encouraged when we need encouraged desperately to inform us. And it comes in, in such regularity and in such significant ways that it seems uncanny and almost coincidental, but when it comes time after time after time after time, nobody in their right mind could say this is only coincidence. And the response is, this is God alive to me, present in my life, speaking powerfully into my life. And my friends, I want to tell you, in those places we are changed. And it brings us convincing evidence of the reality of God. We have stepped into the river. We have stepped into a relationship with a God who is alive and who is real and who proves himself through his word. <clears throat> and where does investigation ultimately take us? Same place it took the shepherds. Investigation, discovery of God takes us to the person of Jesus. You know, it, it's not about, my friends, whether you believe in God. I don't know whether anybody here says, oh, I believe in God. I want to tell you, most people on planet Earth believe in God. That's not the issue of Scripture. It's not the issue of the Christmas story. The issue is, is Jesus the Son of God? 
Is Jesus the one who came and died on that cross and had the capacity and power as the, as the perfect God-man to take our sin to himself and did indeed God the Father raise him to new life so that he now sits at the right hand of God and reigns with the Father? See, what the Bible says in that instance, Jesus becomes one who is now closer than a brother whose spirit lives within us, who is God's presence acting upon us. He's speaking to us. He is leading us. He is challenging us. He is convicting us of sins. He is comforting us. He is acting in so many powerful and significant ways. My friends, I want to tell you, this, this is what the Christmas experience was for these shepherds. It was not just hearing of Jesus from angels. It was these shepherds going to be with him and seeing him with their eyes and hearing him with their ears and probably picking him up and holding him in their arms and ultimately being awed by the reality of what they had been told and finding in Christ the truth of God. And I'm asking you, has the word of God come and have you come to that place through your encounter of the living God in an ongoing way that you know that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? Have you been blown away by that reality? Have you been convinced deep in your heart of who he was and is so much so that your life has been changed? I want to tell you, every single one of us can go deeper in our experience of Christ. One of the dangers of what the Christmas story, of the Christmas story, hearing it every year, year after year after year, is that, oh, I'm there. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I've invited Christ into my life. I know God. No, go deeper into Christ. Find him in greater and greater fashion and be awed by him more and more and more to discover his reality. Now, I, I love Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. It says this. And this is for those who maybe aren't there yet. Maybe are those who have heard the angels speak, but they haven't been absolutely convinced so much that it has transformed life. Jesus himself said later on, after his birth, of course, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Jesus is coming along in this instance and saying, if you're not convinced about who I am, ask, seek, and knock, and you will get answer to your spiritual quest. You will be given direction. I will prove to you the reality of who I am. My friends, if there was one thing, it was one thing for the shepherds to hear of Jesus, it was another thing for him to encounter Christ alive in Bethlehem, to know him, to experience him. And it was that I want to suggest to you which convinced them that what they had been told was true. Third thing we see in the text very simply is what they did after they encountered Christ, verse 17 and 18. After seeing him, after being convinced, after having discovered the reality, not just hear about him, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the, angels, the angel had said to them about this child. And remember what that was. Son of God, Messiah, he's been born, he's come. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. 
My, my friends, these, these shepherds are so struck by their experience of Christ, not only the hearing of, but the experience of, <clears throat> that as the old text says, they spread the word concerning what they had heard. They started talking about it. Those who had been the recipients of the word of God became the speakers of it. Do you see this? Notice the sequence in this story. God tells the angels. The angels tell the shepherds. The shepherds tell other people. You know, the word evangelism in our culture is kind of a dirty word, right? Even in the church. Uh, the, the idea of telling the good news, the idea of encouraging people to come to know and to believe in Jesus, it's, it's not kind of admired anymore. <clears throat> but these people are so profoundly experienced God in Christ that they just tell everybody that they encounter, you know? They tell people of their story. They tell people about the angels showing up and what the angels say. They tell about their journey to Bethlehem and seeing this little baby who indeed was the savior of the world. It's a big deal for them. And it's like they can't not talk about it. You know, we don't do that much anymore, do we? Uh, it's not admired in our culture to speak of faith, to evangelize, to proselytize, it's called. It's, based, it's rooted in an idea that all religions are of equal value and of equal worth, worth. That's kind of a cultural ideological value in our society at this time and place in the world. And if all religions are of equal value and of equal worth, then it would be wrong to call one person from one faith into another because you're saying my faith is better than yours. So the idea of evangelizing is considered distasteful or or even rude and here's the sequence that we live with instead of god speaking to angels who speak to shepherds who speak to others this is the way it tends to work in the church in canada in my experience pastors tell people some of those people become pastors who tell people who come to church and it's sort of an internal dialogue right isn't that true pastors tell people some of those people become pastors who tell people some of those people become pastors who then tell the people in the church. And, and, and it's so different than the sequence that's given to us in the text of God telling angels who tell shepherds who tell others. It's just kind of an outward expression. This is the word of God moving out from this internal reality, this central dynamic of encountering Jesus. Um, You think he could ever become a teller of the story? You think it's possible to kind of break the mold that the culture places upon us when it tells us to not talk about Jesus publicly, but to keep it in our buildings and to you know, keep it in your house of worship? Here's the key, I think, in, ter in terms of people becoming the tellers of the good news. By the way, who's the first evangelist in the sequence I described to you? Who's the first teller of the story of good news? It's God who told angels, who told shepherds, who told others. Jesus became an incredible evangelist and proselytizer. <laughs> Remember that. But here's the key in terms of us becoming tellers of the good news, of becoming like God the Father, of becoming like the angels, becoming like the shepherds, becoming like Jesus himself. It's not me telling you that this is a good idea, so go and do it, because that doesn't work. I'll accept that. 
the key to us becoming tellers of the good news, tellers of the story, is having our own experience of Christ, just as the shepherds did, so that we too are awed by what we have encountered of God, what we have seen with our own eyes, so much so that we spread the word concerning what we have come to know of Jesus ourselves. We've got to have a story to tell, and we've got to be passionate about it. We've got to be blown away, awed by Jesus, just as these shepherds were. Our telling of Christ is an inevitable and direct result of having an awe-inspired experience of him. So here's my question for you this Sunday. And I want you to take it seriously, IPC, okay? I want you to think about it, not just now, but in an ongoing fashion. How real is Jesus to you? How real is he? How impactful has Christ been in your life? Have you had those moments when heaven has opened and the word of God has come into your life and you know you sit in the presence of God Almighty and that Jesus by his spirit is with you and speaking to you. And I don't know, it happens in such a variety of ways. Initially it happens in conviction of sin and, and calling us to faith and so we confess our sin and we invite Christ into our lives. But that's the beginning of the journey, not the end. And, and, and we have those moments when we're either in church and the word of God is being preached or we're sitting at home with this incredible book, the Bible, and we hear the reality of God's word coming to us and we encounter the Lord Jesus in his presence and our lives are changed. Can I ask you, has that happened to you? Does it happen to you? The river flows, my friends. It's a powerful, mighty move of God in our world. It is ongoing. It is real. And we either kind of stand back and watch it flow, or we step into it, and, we, and our stories get intertwined with God's stories, and we are caught up in what God is doing in this world. You see, it's one thing to hear about Jesus, and I just... You know, like I think of you as my flock, right? And I fear, and I'm not saying I'm thinking of this any particular people, but I fear that people, as the shepherds once were, they, they, they've heard, but they haven't gone and encountered. They haven't experienced the living Christ so much so that they are awed and blown away and amazed by the reality of God. You see, there's something that we have to step into, and there's something in that place which is real and profound and life-changing. There's something w w which happens when we encounter Jesus. We are never the same again. We have entered into the kingdom of God. We've entered into this dynamic with God. And when that happens, I want to suggest to you, like the shepherds, we won't be able to be quiet about it. So how real is Jesus to you? Have you seen him? Have you heard him? Have you been awed by him? So much so that your life has been changed by him. You see, hearing about Jesus doesn't lead to much talking. We're still in point three. It doesn't, because it's not that big a deal. Encountering Jesus produces. Yap, yap, you can't be quiet. Because he's now at the center of your existence. It's the core of your being. He's the greatest joy of your life. He's your love. 
You see, in experiencing Jesus, he comes alive to us. He comes alive to us. And we want others to know. And we don't care about a culture which says, don't talk. <laughs> and we're not afraid of a little rejection, right? Somebody laughing at us. That's, that's the persecution of Christians in North America. We get laughed at or ostracized a little bit. How do you experience Jesus? Matthew chapter 7, you ask him. Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Walk into this new spiritual dynamic if you wish. You ask them. And here's where I turn a little bit from Christmas to the new year. We're not far away from it, right? So I can talk to you. Can, can I implore those of you, no, all of us, but especially those of you who are standing back and you're watching the river and you've never stepped in, can you ask God, by prayer, to reveal himself to you in a new way. Um, can you start praying some of those big prayers? I, as a child, prayed a very little prayer. You can pray them, too. They're very cool. But can you start entering into prayer and saying, God, if you're real, will you prove yourself to me? Because according to Matthew chapter 7, in the words of Jesus, he says he will. In such a fashion that you will be changed. And you, like the shepherds, will be awed. <laughs> and your life will be made new. Think for a minute about the possibility of making 2016 a year of prayer. And that's not the only thing I'm going to say. But a year of prayer. Where you, time after time after time, after time, start to encounter the presence and the power and the reality of God in your life because God is answering your prayers and proving himself to you. Anybody game? What about this? <clears throat> you say in this year coming, I'm going to take this book and I'm going, to, I'm going to study it and I'm going to read it in a new way. Um... Here's, here's the, the dynamic that is actually, uh, it's, it, it's, it's ridiculous that we, that we don't take up this opportunity more and more regularly and make it more central dynamic in our lives. God has inspired a book. And, and what this book purports, at least, is to be the mechanism where God, whereby God primarily will speak his word into our lives more than anything else. Sunday morning, we preach the word of God. But you too can go home and you can build into your life an experience of Christ daily. So much so that you too can begin to encounter God here. You can have a spiritual experience of the living Jesus in a profound fashion, day after day after day, and you can not only see God answering prayer on a regular basis, so much so that you can't call it coincidence anymore, and you can start to hear God speak through his word in such a fashion that, that you can't go, oh, well, that's just interesting. Oh, isn't that interesting that God's word said this, and this is what's going on in my life? You experience that often enough. You're convinced. It's, it, it's a profound evidence to the reality of the living God. But so many people don't bother with it. Well, I've got other things that are so important in my life. I don't have time. 
can I suggest that you let this year be a year not only of prayer but of scripture? So much so that this be the year where, where this book comes alive, where the spirit of Christ just opens your eyes and speaks into your life and guides and directs and challenges and convicts and comforts and encourages and touches you deeply. So much so that you end up like the shepherds. Oh, I've encountered Christ. Don't waste the opportunity, my friends, to encounter God in his word. What about the idea of, of, of uh, people like we don't know, but potentially the shepherds who stood back and said, did we just see and hear what we just thought we heard and saw? <laughs> but yet questions remain. You know, questions are a fantastic means to deepen faith and to an encounter with Jesus in the mind. You know, the worst thing that we can do when we have doubts or questions, and by the way, I long for every young person growing up in our church to ask the questions and to grapple with them. Because it leads to deep, profound faith, encounter of Jesus. But the worst thing you can do with significant questions about faith, is the Bible real or the story is true, is Jesus the Son of God, did the virgin birth really happen, is to leave them unanswered, uninvestigated. And I'm afraid many people do. And it's the worst thing to do because if that's where you leave the questions, that's what you end up believing without going to incredible minds like C.S. Lewis or N.T. Wright or, or, or Timothy Keller, whoever the author may be in this generation. People who have discovered in their minds the truth of Jesus and who have answered the question so much so that their lives have been revolutionized by faith. Could this be a year when we particularly who need to do so grapple with those questions and read fantastic authors so that we come to that place not only of answers to our intellectual questions but to an experience of Jesus as we pray and as we read scripture see what I'm saying is Jesus said ask and you'll receive seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you in each of these we are we're encouraged to pursue something just like the angels were encouraged to go pursue this child go find out for yourself see him can we make this a year where we're, we pursue the reality of jesus until we experience him in a new way no matter how long we've been in the faith and until our lives are changed profoundly and we are caught up in that which god is doing in this world final thought God spoke to angels, and angels spoke to shepherds, and shepherds spoke to others. What do you think they did, those others? Um, the Bible doesn't tell us. All it says is that they were astonished at what they had heard. And you know what I think? I don't think they kept quiet about it very long. Let's pray. Gracious God, what an awesome sequence of events. You, the evangelist, the greatest evangelist of all time, 
sharing the good news of what you have, had done in Jesus' birth. You told the angels, who told the shepherds, who told others, who probably told others. And while the birth of Jesus was quiet and silent and seemingly invisible, your intention for humanity is that this news would be spoken again and again and again, that it would be transmitted through your people so that the whole world would know that God had been born on planet Earth. Lord, help us to be like you. Help us to be like the shepherds. Help us to be like Jesus. And to that end, Father, I pray for every person here today that they will ask and seek and, and knock until they find you alive and real and profound in their lives. God, give us a hunger for a deeper experience of Christ. And in those moments, our God, when we encounter you, we pray that we will be changed, just like the shepherds. So much so, um, Lord, we can't just, we, we can't be quiet because of what we have encountered of the living God. Father, in 2016, take us deeper into our faith. Draw us close to the Lord Jesus. Speak your word into our lives. Prove yourself to be the living God who is now here with us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.